Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast to talk about chapter one of Buttonbrooks and to read chapter two. Exciting times. I love kicking off a new book. Uh, I am in the morning, first thing in the morning, am jumping in the car with my family and driving on a holiday. We're going to Lake Moala. Lake Moala. Lake Mulwala. M-U-L-W-A-L-A. You can Google that if you want to see where I'll be. Uh, But that's where I'll be. So, we'll be doing mobile podcasts. It might sound a little bit different for a few days. Um, Exciting. Anyway, um, after the first chapter of Button Books, I'm also excited because it read well, you know. Wasn't too confusing, wasn't too dense or difficult to read. It was pretty cruisy. There's a lot of names mentioned, and um, that's always a bit daunting at the start of a book. But... Other than that, pretty easy to follow. What are your first impressions of Buddenbrooks or the Buddenbrooks family? How do you find the writing prose style after the first chapter? And is there a, a chapter? Uh, sorry, is there a character name guide we can use? A spoiler-free one. Techrific says, if anyone besides Andrew is reading the Low Porter translation and is curious about the Woods translations, I recorded a small excerpt of it for your amusement. Please forgive any mistakes I made. I'm not a professional. Cool. Um, good to do a little comparison. I might, if I can, get my hands on the uh, the Woods translation. I might swap at some point. I wonder how much it would disrupt the flow. Probably not much at all to swap from one to the other. Swim said the mama fish. She said the family saga is one of my favourite genres. I love the descriptions in this chapter and the prose. The most characteristic feature of her face was the lack of any indentation between lower lip and chin. I immediately checked to see if I had an indentation. Um, There was something as well, I can't think what it was, but there was something that I did as well. It wasn't that, but like mid-reading, he mentioned like a, a characteristic of a face or pulling a certain face, and I couldn't help but try to like mimic the face that he was describing. Um, I found the internet info too spoilery. Here is a starting list of characters as they are introduced. Johan Buddenbrooks Sr. is the grandfather. Okay, Johan, sorry, Buddenbrooks Sr. There's three generations in this first chapter. So there's the grandfather. There's Antoinette Buddenbrooks, Ned Deschamps, his wife. Elizabeth Buddenbrooks near Kroger is his daughter-in-law. Johan Buddenbrooks Jr., the consul, is his son. And then there's Antony, or Tony, which is the granddaughter. Ida Jungman is the governess um, for Marion Werder in Prussia. Clothilda, or Thilda, is daughter of a nephew of Johan Buddenbrooks Sr., being raised in the household. Bit of a Sonia situation by the sounds of things. Trina is a servant, Tom and Christian is Tony's brothers, and Jean-Jacques Hofsted is a poet, and Dr. Grabel is the family physician. They are guests at the house. Cool, alright. So, Johan Buddenbrooks Sr., Johan Buddenbrooks Jr., the son, and then Tony is the daughter of that son. And then there's uh, Antoinette Buddenbrooks is the senior 
the grandmother. Yo, uh, Elizabeth is the wife of the son. Johan's wife. There you go. Starfall15 says, Happy New Year, everyone. Hey, there's a name I haven't seen for a while. How are you going, Starfall? Hope you're good. Glad to be back to this sub with its entertaining banter and engaging comments. I read the chapter after reading long pages of Proust's Swan Way. It came as a relief. Good people having conversations. The one thing in common between the two books is a family very conscious of its class and station in life, especially the grandfather. I was trying to remember the last time I read a German classic. I only could think of Goethe. Goat and German philosophers back in uni. Probably the chess story by Zwig is the most recent one. Anne de Bruelli, Bruel, sorry, Anne de Bruel says, to, my, to me the grandfather, Johann Vandenbroek, was the most interesting person in the chapter. He seems a bit arrogant and disparaging to those who are from a lower class and or from a different region in the country, but he has also got a sense of humour, mocking the catechism. I'm curious, how did the English version translate his sentences in Platt-Douche? Did they use an English accent? The whole atmosphere of in the chapter seemed friendly and content. Um... Cool. Here's an example of uh, the translation of the grandfather. In Woods it says, Get a thunderbolt, do we? Well, the thunder can just bolt her. In the L and P translation, which is what we read, Low Porter, uh, it says, The thunder strikes, does it? Oh, very well, let it strike. You didn't really register... I'm uh, sorry. Yes, they didn't really translate the register shift. I don't know how you would, really. Techrific says, We've started. First things first... We learned it's 19, uh, sorry, 1835, at least in the Woods translation. We're in a wealthy home with a, at least three generations of Buddenbrooks. Little eight-year-old Antony or Tony is call, is learning her catechism and is prompted by her mother to repeat what she's been learning. She's teased a little by her grandfather, the family patriarch, and they also play some game involving cattle, a bag of wheat, and a contract is made between the two conspirators. We also learn that they've recently moved into this house and the descriptions of it paints the scene of expensive things and fancy upholstery and the standard fare of old art on the walls. Very proper, very decent and respectable. It is a third-person narration interspersed with some exclamations in French and English or German from some of the characters. The tone is restrained but heavy on the descriptions of the furniture and emphasising the wealth and respectability of the household residing in it. The people seemed to be slightly unsettled in their newly settled abode. The son seemed more serious than the father and showed with this with his remark to the father that catechism was not mothers and daughters uh, was not entirely the laugh, laughing matter his father thought it to be. Fathers and sons, the constant feature in these types of tales. Mothers and daughters, another theme to keep an eye on. All in all, and I can't say why, but it reminded me somewhat of Stendhal when we read The Red and the Black. Anyone else get that vibe? I uh, didn't necessarily think of Stendhal. I don't really remember much about that book, The Red and the Black, to be honest. I couldn't even really tell you what it was about. Isn't it weird you can read a whole book and a year later just not remember anything about it? 
Lady Rostova said, Hello everyone, Happy New Year. I am back. Good to see you again, Lady Rostova. Long time no see. Haven't read the chapter yet, just wanted to say hi and that I'm back. And there's a little party emoji and a love heart. Awesome. Just listen to the episode. Okay, this is an update. Bit confused about who is who, <laughs> but it's a promising start. Yeah. Got a few new names in here. I've read a lot of comments so far. There's always heaps of comments on the first chapter, so I'll, I'll, I'll move on to chapter two now, but um, yeah, there's a few new new names. C.S. Carl, is that a new name? Uh, Rail Jinxing About. Rail Jinxing About. Another new name. Welcome. Um, TA131900. Jan Brunt's back. Acoustic Eels is back. ACO Horcrux is back. Also, all these awesome names I haven't seen for like a year. So, I'm excited to be back here with you. Um, oh no, okay, I was about to say let's read chapter 2, I've just realised I don't actually have it, Buddenbrook's, I don't have it open, it's a bit hard to find this one, um, alright, here we go, sorry about the dead air while I just find the page oh there we go Jap- chapter 2 I'm reading it on archive.org by the way alright chapter 2 goes like this Her Jean Jacques Hofsted was the town poet he undoubtedly had a few verses in his pocket for the present occasion he was nearly as old as Johann Buddenbrook and dressed in much the same style except that his coat was green instead of mouse coloured but he was thinner and more active than his old friend, with bright little greenish eyes and a long pointed nose. Many thanks, he said, shaking hands with the gentleman and bowing before the ladies, especially the Frau Consul, for whom he entertained a deep regard. Such bows as his, it was not given to the younger generation to perform, and he accompanied them with his pleasant, quiet smile. Many thanks for your kind invitation, my dear good people, we met these two young ones, the doctor and I. He pointed to Tom. Oh, whoops. I've just accidentally changed what page I'm on. He pointed to... Tom and Christian in their blue tunics and leather belts. In King Street, coming home from school. Fine lads, hey? Frown console. Tom is a very solid chap. He'll have to go into the business, no doubt. But Christian is a devil of a fellow. A young, incroyable, hey? I will not conceal my engagement. He must study, I think. He is witty and brilliant. Old Buddenbrook used used his snuff box. He's a young monkey, that's what he is. Why not say at once that he is to be a poet, Hofstede? Mamselle Jungmann drew the curtains, and soon the room was bathed in mellow, flickering light from the candles in the crystal chandelier and the sconces on the writing desk. It lighted up golden gleams in Frau Consul's hair. Well, Christian, she said, what did you learn today? It appeared that Christian had had writing, arithmetic, and singing lessons. He was a boy of seven, 
who already resembled his father to an almost comic extent. He had the same rather small, round, deep-set eyes and the same prominent aquiline nose. The lines of his face below the cheekbones showed that it would not always retain its present childlike fullness. We've been laughing dreadfully, he began to prattle, his eyes darting from one to another in the circle. What do you think, Herr Stengel, said said to Sigmund Kosterman. Ah, what do you think, Herr Stengel, said to Sigmund Kosterman. He bent his back, shook his head and declaimed impressively, Outwardly, outwardly, my dear child, you are sleek and smooth, but inwardly, my dear child, you are black and foul. He mimicked with indescribably funny effect, not only the master's odd pronunciation, but the look of disgust on his face at the outward sleekness he described. The whole company burst out laughing. Young monkey, repeated old Buddenbrook, but her Hofstede was in ecstatics. Charmant, he cried. If you know Marcellus Stengel, that's he to the life. Oh, that's too good. Thomas, to whom the gift of mimicry had been denied, stood near his younger brother and laughed heartily without a trace of envy. His teeth were not very good, being small and yellowish. His nose was finely chiselled, and he strikingly resembled his grandfather in the eyes and the shape of his face. The company had, <clears throat> had for the most part, seated themselves on the chairs and the sofa. They talked with the children, or discussed the unseasonable cold and the new house. Her Hofstede admired a beautiful Sevres inkstand in the shape of a black and white hunting dog that stood on the secretary. Dr. Grabau, a man of about the consul's age, with a long mild face between the thin whiskers, was looking at the table set out with cakes and currant bread and salt cellars in different shapes. This was the bread and salt that had been sent by friends for the housewarming but. The bread consisted of rich, heavy pastries, and the salt came in dishes of massive gold, that the senders might not seem to be mean in their gifts. There will be work for me here, said the doctor, pointing to the sweet meats and threatening the children with his glance. Shaking his head, he picked up a heavy salt and pepper stand from the table. From Lebrecht Kroger, said old Buddenbrook with a grimace. Our dear kinsman is always open-handed. I did not spend as much on him when he built his summer house outside the castle gate, but he has always been like that, very lordly, very free with his money, a real cavalier a la mode. The bell had rung several times, past a wanderlich had was announced, a stout old gentleman in a long black coat and powdered hair. He had twinkling grey eyes set in a face that was jovial if rather pale. He had been a widower for many years and considered himself a bachelor of the old school, like her Gratigens, the broker who entered with him. Her Gratigens was a tall man who went around with one of his thin hands up to his eye, like a telescope, as if he were examining a painting. He was a well-known art connoisseur. Among the other guests were Senator Dr. Lingles and his wife, both friends of many years standing in Coppen, the wine merchant, with his great crimson face between enormous padded sleeves. His wife, who came with him, was nearly as stout as he. It was after half-past four when the Krogers put in an appearance, the eldest together with the children, the consul Krogers with their sons Jacob and Jorgen, who were about the age of Tom and Christian. 
On their heels came the parents of Frau Consul Kroger, the lumber dealer, over Dirk and his wife, a fond old pair who still addressed each other in public with nicknames from the days of their early love. Fine people come late, said Consul Buddenbrook, and kissed his mother-in-law's hand. But look at them when they do come, and Johann Buddenbrook included the whole Kroger connection with a sweeping gesture and shook the elder Kroger by the hand. Lebrecht Kroger, the Cavalier à la mode, was a tall, distinguished figure. He wore his hair slightly powdered, but dressed in the height of fashion with a double row of jewelled buttons on his velvet waistcoat. His son Justus, with his turned-up moustache and small beard, was very like the father in figure and manner, even to the graceful, easy motions of the hands. The guests did not sit down, but stood about awaiting the principal event of the evening and passing the time in casual talk. At length, Johann Buddenbrook, the older, offered his arm to Madame Coppen and said in an elevated voice, Well, mesdames et messieurs, if you are hungry... Mademoiselle Jungmann and the servant had opened the folding doors into the dining room and the company made its way with studied ease to the table. One could be sure of a good square meal at the Buddenbrooks. Alright, there we go, another chapter down. Buddenbrooks throwing a nice big dinner. Getting some war and peace vibes, really. They remind me a little bit of the Rostovs. Um, Alright. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.